Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Anytime during my 10 years I could do this. That's power. That's power. Here's the snap. The ball is down. The kick is up. And it's gone! Wolfpack wins! It's time for the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. Here's your host, James Curl. All right, folks. Welcome to the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. We got a... Another good crowd here at Amedios, and we, like we always say, we uh, hope that you will come down and join us at some point. Uh, Dave did not give me anything to promote specifically this week, so it's one of those uh, gambles that he takes uh, whenever he does not. So he, he leaves it up to me to freelance, <laughs> and uh, he does so at his own risk. Um, I know that uh, recently uh, the uh, Amedios that's out in Apex is planning to open. I think they were scheduled for... The end of this month, mm-hmm. October. I think that's right. Um, so if you are out in the western part of Wake County and are looking for some good Amedio's pizza and Italian food, you can head to Amedio's Pizza. It's going to be at the Beaver Creek Shopping Center out off of uh, 55, or excuse me, 64 and 55. Um, you can uh, head there and get you some good uh, quality Amedio's food that you're used to and, and love from your years of coming to here, no doubt. And, of course, if you're looking for a good place to watch an away football game, you cannot beat the atmosphere here at Amedios. I'm actually going to be here, I think, for, oh, nice. to watch that game. It's, uh, if you need, um, what is it, proof of advertising? Just, pr- pr- just verification that, not that all I'm talk. not lying when yeah, I say that. Exactly. Yeah, I, I've been here for, uh, for an event. I think I was here a few years ago when we beat Georgetown to go to the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. It was just a wonderful atmosphere. Uh, you cannot beat watching a state game with you know quite Surrounded a few by red and white. Yeah, red and white. All the pictures and everything that's on the wall, and of course, plenty of state fans here taking in the fun as well. So please, uh, you know, take advantage of that uh, with you here. You know, c- please come by Media's for the uh, football game this weekend, and then once we get official word that Media's Pizza out in Apex opens up, we will give you the word on that as well, and you can be sure to patronize that. And uh, as always, let the folks know that uh, you are here because of the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. It always makes us look good, uh, like we're not just broadcasting out into the ether <laughs> with no one listening. Um, so Matt Purdy is with us this week. How are you doing, Matt? Doing pretty awesome, James. It's nice to not have to come on after a loss. Yeah, yeah, we're coming in off of a... <laughs> well, at least a state loss. I had another... Oh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're a combination state Michigan fan. So uh, we, maybe if, if time allows, we can get into the pain that That's you experienced fine. on Saturday. That works. Um, it is the uh, the week of the away Wake Forest game, and um, you know um, 
It's uh, a week that uh, well, we'll get into it, but uh, we we <laughs> it's a have week that we dread every yeah, year. Every other year, we we dread the away Wake Forest game uh, ever since two thousand one. But uh, we we did want to bring someone on to help us talk uh, Wake Forest. Uh, he's a grad of Wake Forest, and uh, he also is someone that uh, if you are kind of in the same Twitter circles that me and Matt and a lot of other NC State folks follow, mm-hmm. you've seen Definitely. his tweets quite a bit. He works for. Uprocks Sports now, and, and Martin can come on here in just a second and correct me, but Martin Rickman is joining us. Martin, you still with us there? Yeah, I'm hanging tight, although I'm hungry now for some pizza, but that's <laughs> always the case. So. We, we always like to ask folks uh, who have been to the media what's their favorite meal uh, to enjoy, so I'm going to hypothetically ask you, what would you enjoy if you were here at the with us? Do they have calzones? Oh yes. God, they've got calzones. They're, so, yeah, that'd be it. They're monster calzones. They, it, they're a two-sitting calzone. I, I think that's safe to say. Yeah. Eat, eat one for dinner, and then you save the next one for lunch the next day. Nice. Uh, they're wonderful. Uh, Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, I think we've actually had you on the show in the past. I, I'm trying to recall when it was, but it's been a while. So, you know, if if not, welcome. If not, welcome. Or if we did, welcome back. Um, I mentioned that you are a uh, you know a Wake alum and, and that you did some work, I believe, with uh, Blogger So Dear way back in the day when SB Nation was kind of first getting off the ground. Or was that pre SB Nation? No, I, I I had a sporting news blog way back when, and then uh, Bud from Tomahawk actually brought me on to start uh, the Wake site for SB Nation. So hmm. I, me and a couple of friends, uh, were kicking around names, and you know, Mother So Dear is is kind of something we all yell at the end of the the you know the alma mater song and we just were joking that blogger so dear would be a funny name but for some reason that's the one that stuck so we we started uh-huh. that and i ran it for i don't know five or so years before i had to step away when i started at si and then i passed it over to one of my, my writers and editors and it's still going strong now i mean they, they do a great job over there and I couldn't be prouder of my little baby still growing up. So. <laughs> You're like Vince Vaughn at the end of Swingers, uh, just standing on the uh, the cafe table there. Uh, I get that a lot. <laughs> well, um, let me ask you how you, you came to Uproxx. You did mention that you did some time there. Uh, it's not jail time, obviously, but you did some time there at Sports <laughs> Illustrated. Um, what led you to, to go from SI to, I guess this was kind of a, a new thing for Uprox is they've kind of tried to continue building their site and building their brand. Yeah, so in uh, February, um, Chris Mottram was brought on to, to Uprox to kind of start that part of the site or really amp it up. I mean, they'd, they've always done some sports stuff over there, but and they had Kissing, Kissing Susie Colburn, and they've got you know, a really good wrestling site and some other things that they were doing over there, but they didn't really have a dedicated sports section, so to speak, for it. And mm-hmm. They were kind of trying to change some things around, you know, really put things into buckets. And they brought Chris on, and they raised some money um, through a variety of different sources. You know, they got investors, uh, Baron Davis and Jermaine O'Neal, who helped to buy the, the Dime Magazine domain and all the archives before it kind of fell into ruin, which was really good for people who love the NBA. Because, I mean, I grew up reading Dime, and I feel like, everybody kind of did who liked basketball in the 90s and 80s and stuff and they were looking for someone to kind of be the face or the voice for for uprocks and I, I worked with chris previously at sb nation um he actually was the guy who decided whether or not any of our sporting news stuff way back when went made it to the college football page so he knew me very tangentially back then but reached out to him because he lives down in charlotte too and we met up and had a couple of beers and talked about the vision for the site. 
and it was really in line with what he wanted were the things that I wanted to do to kind of further my, my career and keep going because I loved SI and um, everybody who worked over there, but you know it it, it was a crowded table there, and mm. you know not to get into too much personal stuff. Uh, it was time for a change for me to, to kind of move on and, and do something different. And it was perfect timing for that. And, you know, it allowed me to do not just college football, but really amp up my college basketball coverage, do some NBA stuff, do some NFL stuff and do some off the beaten path stuff too. And, you know, Elprox is known for their entertainment coverage and I've had the chance to interview rappers and comedians and musicians now. And that that's been fun to, to kind of add that to my repertoire a little bit and still, you know, make jokes on Twitter and, and write about college football, which is the bread and butter. I'm never really going to get away from that, I don't think. Right. Yeah, I believe uh, Matram lives in Charlotte, and, and so the I think pretty much isn't SB Nation headquartered out of Charlotte? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it feels that way. New York offices, but we've been joking around that, that my house, just because of how many people have been coming through and <laughs> staying the night when they cover games, is the uh, Southeast Regional Blog HQ. <laughs> Chip Patterson's been here, Lauren Brownlow, and Powell, uh, Latimer, and a bunch of other people just in and out, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of the sporting news guys live out in Charlotte because that's obviously where sporting news is. So we've got like a nice little hub, which is good because you got to. We need at least enough people to play in a game against the Triangle Media at one point in time for basketball. Yeah, well, that needs to. That definitely needs to become a thing. Uh, you know, the the Triangle Media Ryder Cup didn't happen this year, so maybe we can start up a three on three. You know, Triangle represent the schools. Yeah, yeah, just a, an online. Uh, you know, a tournament between the, and there really hasn't been a competition that can settle the Raleigh versus Charlotte debate. So maybe this could be the thing that it, we. Uh, you could we maybe try. have like a like a. March Madness style bracket and have the teams play and then the winner of the Raleigh or the Triangle meets the two, winner of the Charlotte. Yeah, two regions for all the marbles. Um, now, is Op- I guess you may have answered my question in your answer, but Oprox, do they have any Charlotte presence as well beyond you, or are they more of a uh, you know situated out of the New York area as well? They've got a New York office and LA office, but it seems like people are just all over the place. I think Chris and I are the only ones out of Charlotte, but you know, like Bernsey's out of Florida and. Um, Isaac is out in Michigan, and you know we've got some writers in New York, and Brett's down in New Orleans, obviously. Um, so, just kind of all over the place, it's, which is nice. I mean, I, I, I like that. I mean, the, I wish there was more of a dedicated hub that I could go to once a quarter or something mm-hmm. uh, to brainstorm and you know actually see people. So I'm not just talking to my dog and shooting story ideas to Mingo every day. But you know, it, it's something that I think will come over time. Is and I, you know I been up to the office but it's a lot of salespeople, and they've got you know the dime office is technically headquartered out of there so it's nice to at least go in there and feel like i brought my computer to a real actual workspace <laughs> right we all could maybe do an upcon or something like that and host it somewhere maybe in charlotte or someone like that and just kind of get everybody together for random beers and, and awkward conversations yeah i'll just do it at my house it'll give me an excuse to get the video redone sooner <laughs> Well, um, you mentioned uh, uh, getting the opportunity to kind of branch out a little bit. You, you recently interviewed both Ludacris and Jordana Brewster from the Fast Ooh. and the Furious series. Uh, are, are, you do, are you trying to track down every living member of the Fast and Furious uh, series at this point? Uh, I would res- love to. And if I could get a Ouija board to, to get Paul, <laughs> Paul, at least to weigh in on who he thinks is going to be in the college football playoffs, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get Bow Wow and Ja Rule. 
And uh, the kid from that Disney horse movie, Lucas Black or whatever, that was in the Tokyo Drift one. Uh, part of your interview series includes a, a wonderful interview that you did with Matt Days. Um, it took place, I believe, short, well, you interviewed him shortly after the... Well, I, let me back up. I won't, I won't speak for you. Um, I know that uh, part of the interview took place shortly after the Louisville game. Uh, you mentioned the Louisville game in your story, but... Um, talk about you know getting to uh, talk with Matt. He he seems like kind of a uh, more of a quiet, inward kind of guy. And you know, I feel like so many you know college athletes we think about tend to be the more bombastic ones. But Matt definitely is somebody that while he you know is able to produce uh, a ton of yards and points on the field, he seems much more of an inward kind of guy. What was it like talking with Matt Days, and uh, what did you you know learn and enjoy from that interview with him? Yeah, it's been interesting. My approach to interviewing has kind of changed a lot in the last couple of years. Maybe it's because I've been doing so many of them, but I think it more has to do with me just changing how I think about talking to uh, different individuals. And I, I think that me going back to therapy has helped a lot, you know, in, in a kind of a strange way because I have to speak openly to someone else. And so I'm thinking about my rationale, my motivations, my drives as I try to communicate what I'm feeling and, and what I want this person who is just an impartial third party to know. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of what I'm trying to be when I talk to people and try to get to know them. I want them to open up to me. I want them to feel like it's a safe space for them to be honest with me so that I can get to know them and they can share with me the things that, that really matter to them. I really want to listen to them. I don't have an agenda when I'm reaching out to, to the kids. I, I really would like to see the story kind of happen organically. And I was warned with Matt that he's a really introspective kid and he's guarded. He doesn't like to talk to the media. He doesn't enjoy it. And I had a couple different things I was thinking about wanting to go in with with him, but I really just wanted to get him talking just at all about anything. Right. And I found that, you know, the things that he was passionate about were, you know, his team, obviously, and and how much he cared about them, his family, and how much he cared about his mom, especially, and and what she's done. And then his girlfriend, who he's with for a long time. She's a student down at UCF. And once he got going with them, then, you know, he was – less reluctant to share other details. And that's where I got that kind of amazing story about um, his recruitment that I don't know had been told in as much detail as I got from him about Mm -hmm. how he was ready to go to Vanderbilt. And he called state because his coach said, you know, you owe it to the other schools that were recruiting you to to tell them, you know, so they can hear it from from you and not from anyone else. And he couldn't get a hold of Vanderbilt because everybody was on a plane recruiting or they were off going to different trips, and he just took a second and, and thought about it some more and then decided to go to state and almost transferred after his freshman year, he told me, too, because things just weren't going well for him you know, academically and on the field, and he was just struggling a little bit, and he stuck it out. Something in a voice in his head was telling him he needed to stick it out, and then after that, you know, state was home for him. And it was kind of amazing. This kid that could speak so eloquently and you know, really had a, such a good outlook but you don't really necessarily get to hear that from him that often because he doesn't want to talk to the media. And I was really careful to portray him the way that 
I, I thought he wanted to be portrayed in the piece. And, you know, it's obviously a shame. You, you, you start, I was talking to him Thursday before the game, and it, mm-hmm. obviously the Shadrach stuff had happened, you know, that week too, and then the loss happened. But I wanted to make sure that I still said what needed to be said about him despite the loss because a result's a result, but that doesn't take away from the overall story or from, you know, the overall message or theme that, that, that came out of, you know, my discussion with him and, you know, what I observed from him. Yeah, I thought you did a great job of interweaving, you know, kind of his backstory and, and like you mentioned, the fact that, you know, he is, you know, kind of introspective and and values kind of the uh, the family aspect of a football team and how he tries to be for his teammates the person that he needed when he, you know, first arrived on campus and and then interwove the results of the Louisville game where, of course, he, you know, didn't pick up that last, you know, first down that would have kept states, you know, uh, they were thin hopes at that time, but, uh, you know, it, it effectively ended the game. You know, obviously I'm sure that, you know, weighed on him after the game was over. You were kind of able to uh, portray, you know, that that was another instance where he really needed his team to be there for him as a family, and it was great. I really enjoyed I really enjoyed reading it. I thought the recruiting part was pretty cool. I mean, obviously, James knows I'm, I'm big into following recruiting, and, and I knew about the Vanderbilt because I think I remember when he picked State, he had said something like, my head told me um, – my head or my heart told me Vanderbilt, but my head told me State, or vice versa. <laughs> I just remember thinking that was kind of interesting, and you know, you read a little bit about it from other people, but it was neat to kind of hear it from him. Um, I, I think the journey of to where somebody gets when they pick a school really tells you a lot about him too. Is he was clearly, like you said, an introverted kid, but he's clearly smart and intelligent. And he thinks things through. Not saying that because he picked State, but just mm-hmm. you know, he's not the kid that picks a school because their uniforms are they wore black uniforms on a Thursday night or something like that. Um, so I, th- I thought that was neat that you added it in there. Um, he's, you know, it's it's pretty neat to hear somebody that's a good player for your school that's quiet really open up to somebody. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, the one thing that was really interesting, too, is we, we got talking about, you know, fate and kind of coincidence in your path. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of kids, they don't think about that all that much at 19, 20, 21, but you know, we were talking. He, the other schools were looking at. He was looking at UCF, and he would have gone there. He said if it, they were in a Power Five conference. And he mm-hmm. also was looking at. I think. Well, I think it was Vanderbilt, UCF, and then, uh, and then State at the end of the day. Yeah, I so mean, but Matt, you would probably know if he had another one in there. It might have been USF, maybe the other one, but I think you're mostly okay. right. But we were saying, you know, Vanderbilt's been struggling because they got a new coaching staff, and then UCF's maybe on their way to not winning a game at all this year. <laughs> and just saying, you know, it's it's funny. Whatever it was, that voice was that, that kept him there. You know, that it, it, it was that for a reason, and he he really thought that you know there was some sort of plan in place or things happen the way that they're supposed to for him. And you know, it, you, you can call it faith if you want to, or you just call it whatever your philosophical right. you know leanings are hmm. for your approach to life. But it's it's interesting getting into that with with kids. You know, it, it's that's the part where if you give me 45 minutes to an hour with somebody instead of 10 minutes to 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. you can really get some amazing magical stuff out of it. And it makes the kid look so much better too, because you can see their personality. Yeah. You you get better than the one game at a time, you know, quote type things. You actually get to hear them. And that's the stuff I know he gives because he falls back on that since he doesn't like talking to the media. So Hmm. it was just, I wanted to tell an honest and true, you know, unique story 
of, about him because I thought he was a fascinating player with a really good story, and I wanted I wanted to tell it, you know, and I didn't want it to just be yeah, I want to work really hard and get a bunch of yards and help my team win. I wanted to know who he was, and mm-hmm. I because he's you know a good kid, you know, I wanted to share that with everyone because mm-hmm. you know fans like you guys were saying don't necessarily get to know these guys sometimes, and you know it's it's. I'm lucky because I'm in the national media now that I can sometimes get the chance to do that when other guys maybe don't get time or they don't get access. And trust me, I've had the access problems <laughs> that everybody else has had, especially this season. But it, it's it's when I get the chance to, I just want to make sure I use that responsibility the way that I can and you know, really best tell a story in a way that's different or give somebody something that they haven't seen before. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's it's great because it it opens a small window to part of the you know something we don't usually see, which is you know you've got what 120 some odd you know FBS level, not counting all the other levels of college football, 85 kids on scholarship, you know everybody's got their own little story, you know some are more straightforward than others, but it's it's nice to get just a little bit of a kind of a peek behind the curtain with some of these kids who, you know, have a, a story that is maybe a little bit unconventional, has some, some interesting things. But I'm sure every player has a little bit of a wrinkle in there that, mm-hmm. like you said, Martin, when you get a chance to sit down with them for 45 minutes or an hour, you can get to it rather than just trying to, you know, pick it up in, in a five or ten minute, you know, sit down interview that, you know, is uh, not nearly as in-depth. So really enjoyed that. Um all right, so I mentioned when we brought you on that you are a, uh, a Wake guy. You were there at Wake. Um, what years were you at Wake Forest? I'm trying to remember. The good ones, 05 to 09. So, <laughs> so your, your time at Wake Forest actually uh, is after the streak began, the, the quote-unquote streak. Um, you, were, uh, you witnessed, uh, I guess, three of the, uh, the losses uh, that are in this streak that we talk about uh, with such disdain from the NC State side of things. Um, it's it's fascinating. I, I, I don't know that I, I, if I had had the time today at work and, and didn't fear for my uh, termination of employment, I would have probably done some research to see if there's another venue streak that, uh, you know, has matched this within the ACC. I wouldn't want to have gone beyond those limits, but um, you know, uh, obviously there are teams that have a hard time beating you know one another. The state has struggled with uh, Georgia Tech at, at times in the past, both home and away. But to have uh, just one venue, you know, Winston Salem, be such a horror show for a team when they seem to have not nearly as much difficulty building beating them at home, it's unusual, and, and uh, you know. Having been there at Wake Forest during kind of the peak Grobe era, um, is there anything that you can attribute to it? You know, are, are we? Is it perhaps in some way demeaning to Wake Forest to to give them short shrift when we say why haven't we beaten them there? You know, I, I almost feel like it's a little bit kind of demeaning to Wake Forest to say, oh, well, we should have <laughs> clearly beaten them at some point along this way. I mean, they, there were some great teams. There was the ACC title team of '06. You know, so. Um, what what's your take on the streak as it's unfolded in the last fourteen years? And uh, you know what were I guess maybe some some moments, memorable moments of it, of it from your perspective? I, I think it's a combination of things. I think obviously early on in the streak, it's the look ahead game. You expect to beat them, and then mm. I think as things got going with Grove, um, 
he took a lot of pride in beating the other North Carolina teams. And so whenever he had the chance to do that, it would be a little bit of an edge in recruiting. And they needed to, any little bit they could get to try to move past you know, State or Carolina. And it, I, then it, when a streak gets to be as long as it is in a certain venue, you know, there, there's ghosts there. So yeah. whether it's an interception that, that shouldn't happen or a fumble or a ball rolling the wrong way or going right off fingertips or whatever it is that does it, that there's just that, that weird specter that, that's, that's in there. And it's a lot, it's definitely not the same as like Clemson playing at UNC or anything, but right. Um, you know, guys start to wonder, or they'll let the streak get in their heads. I think that has something to do with it because now they know and they're so amped up and they want to do it so badly that they play a little bit tighter than they normally do than they would if they were just going to a random neutral site or a, a school that they haven't played all that often. You know, it's it's we, we've got to beat this. We've got to get this off our backs. And when you do that, you when you're thinking about mistakes, you make them more often. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably it. I don't know. I, I'm not sure, but I, that at least from a psychological standpoint, I think that's if I was the one playing the game, I think that's what would happen to me. Yeah, I remember from my time at state, you know, people I would hear people come up to like the basketball players or football players and be like, "Oh, you haven't beat Carolina in blah 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 blah." You know, they would kids would literally say that to them. So of course, you know, maybe the players didn't know that before, but you know, I'm sure that's they weren't the only person that told them that. So they're hearing it from their peers their coaches this and that and um yeah i mean it's hard to blame anyone because it's what's on your mind but you know you're right it makes you when you're free-flowing and having fun and just out there playing you know 95 percent of the time you play better than when you're focused tight and you know worried about it does become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy you know where it's just like well is this the year you know and it it, it's become a storyline i mean we're talking about it now obviously um and it's it's as a man. If you're Dave Dorn and the coaching staff, probably the last thing that you want to hear media members ask you, or especially your players, is is this going to be the year that the streak is broken? You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure they want to just move on from it. And you know, uh, the streak has spanned three coaches here at NC State. Amato, it started during the Amato era, and and you know now, you know O'Brien obviously never beat him there, so. It's um, it's become a thing that uh, is kind of a maybe an elephant in the room or, or mm-hmm. something that uh, the coaches would I'm sure love to um, pretend doesn't exist. But when we're talking about it, when the media is talking about it, when like you said, Matt, when students are talking about it, yeah. it gets really tough as a player I'm sure to ignore. Yeah, and especially in the social media age too. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine what some of the uh, what the what some of the mentions must look like for maybe Jacoby or some of those yeah. other you know high profile players, you know, uh, you, you sometimes you know can understand why guys would just completely self ban themselves oh, from I Twitter. Would, during... I would not use it. There's no way I would. Use it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a very unusual thing. Um, but uh, again, I, I do think it kind of undermines a little bit of just how successful Grove was at times. At Wake Forest, you know, obviously the last few years were a little bit of a struggle. Um, maybe uh, this is a good question to ask you, Martin. During kind of the end of the, the Grobe era, did you did you empathize with him as as his teams struggled to replicate what happened in '06? Um, did did you feel like maybe the uh, you know the the Wake fans and maybe the administration 
needed to give him more support, or was it just time? It was, I, I think, a combination of things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it to some extent it, it was time, although I'm sure he would have loved to, to keep going, and, and that's not how he wanted to go out. You know, I, I think he probably would have wanted to go out on his terms when after a winning season. But the, the recruiting had kind of taken a dip, and the style of play that, that they had engineered that had been so successful for them wasn't really working the way that it was. And also it, the success for Wake coincided with you know, a, a period of time where UNC and State were both struggling and, and Wake had Duke's number big time. I mean, like Wake, Wake was dominating that series. And then Cut came along and Cut was having some success. And the other two schools started to bounce back a little bit and, and start to get players. And Wake just wasn't grabbing enough talent. And when they tried to play more of a running, you know, smash mouth style ball instead of that orbit scheme that they ran when they had so much success with Riley Skinner, it, it they just couldn't get the size that they needed on the offensive line and they were getting pushed around. And also, you know, Wake's period of success came at the exact same time that Florida State was struggling and Clemson was struggling. I mean, right. you couldn't replicate that again if you tried. You know, you needed all of the numbers to come up exactly the right way for them to win that Powerball ticket, which was them getting to Miami and playing in that Orange Bowl. That's that's one in a million for Wake, to have all those other schools struggling, to have a quarterback like Riley, to have special teams play the way that Wake did, and to have those, those, that recruiting class of a bunch of two- and three-star guys that outplayed their star rankings to an extent where you're starting to see Wake guys getting drafted, not just you know in the latter rounds or picking it up mm-hmm. on practice squad teams, but getting picked in the first or second or third rounds, which was happening. And Wasn't Wake there Forest pace is. and there was a linebacker too, right? Curry? Yeah, Aaron Curry. I mean, yeah. yeah, with whatever happened to him in his <laughs> pro career, it, be that what it was, it was still amazing, remarkable for Wake Forest to have a top 10 pick. I mean, that that's unfathomable. If you had asked anybody prior to 2005, you know, if that was going to happen and they were going to win an ACC title. So, they got what they wanted to have. But again, I, and I've said this about other schools too in the past when this gets brought up is when the expectations start to grow for these teams, like the problem is that they're overinflated for what their sense of worth is. So you want to be better because you've had success, but sometimes those expectations are unrealistic. And I think with Wake, it was a little bit of Grove not doing enough on his own and, you know, giving too much, delegating too much to his assistants who kind of let him down a little bit and then not being able to make the changes quickly enough to kind of stop the bleeding for it. And then by that point, lost season after lost season after lost season at the end there, they're not even making bowl games. And it's just, it's disappointing to the fans who, had bought in because when you think about it, when it's the college kids, they have a four year period of time to win them over. And then that's the time that they know of as their era of their football team. And, and when it's a really good era, that's what they expect. That's what they want. When it's really bad, like if you look at Northwestern, all those broadcasters who went to Northwestern (laughs) during the awful, awful Northwestern era, that's all they can remember. So they expect Northwestern to lose games like that. But these kids who went to Wake thought that Wake was supposed to be good because they were they went to bowl games three or four years in a row. And 
why couldn't they do that every year? Why they should be able to? Because not only have they done it, they've won an AC title. Now these kids, now eighteen year olds are going to want to come and play at Wake. It's a beautiful campus, and we can beat State at home, and we can beat Duke any any time. We've beaten Florida State a couple times. We beat Clemson and ended, you know, one of the Bowden's careers. So why is this not happening more? Why can't this keep happening? And there wasn't an explanation. And at that point in time, you know. Grobe had been there a very, very long time and just seemed like it was time for a change. And look, I mean, Dave Clawson's a really good coach. He's doing some good things. He's turning it around. And I was at that Bowling Green MAC championship game they won. And it was I was really impressed. And I had a feeling right then and there and tweeted it out, this is Wake's next head coach. Because hmm. he starts from the ground, tears everything up, and makes sure that all the parts are what they need to be in that foundation is in place. He spares no time and doesn't cut corners in it, even if it's painful. And you're seeing that. They're playing better than they were last year, and maybe the wins won't come, but maybe they will. You know, Maybe they'll win another one or two that they're not supposed to, and then you think by year three you've got a bowl game, and you hope by year four you've got enough sustained success or momentum, if you believe in that kind of thing, that it can kind of keep going. And you hope that you keep him before he decides that he wants to bolt to another destination and fix another school. Cause some coaches just are fixers. That's what they are. And I don't know if that's, that's Clawson's goal at wake, but you at least hope that if that happens, you've got a contingency plan in place and the foundation is secure that now they can start to challenge the, the rest of the big four again and actually win some games in the Atlantic instead of being that team that you slot in at the bottom every year and think, okay, well, that's easy. Now, now who do I going to pick to win the Atlantic? Right. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you say that about Clawson because he does have a little bit of an MO of kind of the, the, the fixer. Um, and eventually at some point, you know, I guess a program's either fixed or it's not. And then, you know, uh, it will be interesting to see if he is uh, a long-term solution for Wake Forest. I, for for Wake's sake and for the ACC as a whole, you know, maybe not for state's benefit because, uh, you know, we certainly would like to uh, break this streak and, and continue on uh, our uh, hoped path back towards the top of the Atlantic, but um, you know, for the ACC as a whole, it would be good if uh, there were more solid teams, mm-hmm. top to bottom, and uh, hopefully Wake does have a, a good solution in Clawson. Clawson came after Mike London at Richmond, correct? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, all right, before we let you go, Martin, uh, you are a guy who has coined a movement. Um, I don't know what that feels like to you, knowing that you're the guy that started the hashtag GoACC in lowercase. Um, to be but, fair, all of his stuff is in lowercase. <laughs> well, it, it, it works out um, because you know we, we have an uppercase version that's yeah. meant for, for, for good things. That but doesn't get used much. Uh, the, the lowercase version is the more notable version that uh, is, uh, has swept the nation. Um, so, so first of all, what, what's it like uh, when you see that thing take off? Are you proud? Are you kind of like, uh yeah, I guess. Second thoughts or whatever. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, is it interesting having uh, having your you know kind of fingerprint on the Go ACC movement? Yeah, I was proud of it because it took <laughs> off and it kind of represented you know an entire spirit of the league, and that's that we don't take itself we don't take ourselves too seriously. Right. Like right. things are going to go wrong, but we will shrug it off. But that we all kind of support each other and. 
if it does, if it's not happening to us right now, next week it could. And it goes from league officials to refs to coaches to players to, to writers. And it, the way I started it was it was I wanted us all to kind of support each other and mm-hmm. be together. And it was a weekend. I, I don't tell this story all that often, but I guess I'll do a bridged version of it. But <laughs> I had gone home. Um, and my sister was really sick, and I was. We didn't know what was going on. She was in and out of the hospital. We know why why she was sick. Eventually, she was fine, so it's it's okay now. But it was just this mysterious illness, and wasn't knowing why she was in as much pain as she was. And so I drove back, and I just was kind of all flustered. And I kept seeing all that stuff about Florida State talking about leaving because it was right around when all the tier three rights right. junk was happening, and I just didn't get it because. We loved, I mean, all the ACC people I know loved Florida State, and they had had their downtime, too, and just because they were getting good again, they thought that they were too good for it, and (laughs) they weren't. They were a part of the ACC the way that everybody else was. I mean, everybody gets to take their turn, and that's why we love the ACC Coastal Wheel of Sucks so much, because (laughs) you're going to be at the bottom, and you're going to be at the top of it at some point, and so I I just started rattling off some jokes about how you know, we may not be the best and we may not be the greatest, but we'll always be together and we'll always support each other. We'll always love each other. And it was just little things like, you know, we might not be able to get Notre Dame, but <laughs> hey, at least we'll we'll share our pretzel snacks with you. Or, <laughs> we don't have a national title contender, but hey, you know, Harris Teeter has buy two, get three free on soda. So we'll make sure and buy that brand you like. <laughs> That's the same me through college for a while. <laughs> oh, I had a closet full. Yeah, we, my roommate and I would go and we get like we'd each get like fifteen sodas and just have them for the whole year. And it just it, it kept going from there, and I, people picked up on it, and I, I, that's what I loved about it was they kind of all made it their own. And it, mm. at the end of it, the school that was using it the most frequently was FSU, <laughs> and that was the thing that kind of I loved the most about it was it started in earnest because. I wanted FSU to realize that the league cared about them and they should care about them back. And then right. they were the ones who needed to be the flag for the ACC. They were trying to prove that the ACC was better than people thought because they needed them to try to like get themselves into the playoff. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, lo- I did love that about that because they, you know, it took off and it took on a life of its own and it belonged to everybody. And I always said that it belonged to everybody. It was never like mine. It was just everyone's. But the problem is when something's everyone's, a definition can change. And you're starting to see, you know, people use it for some of the wrong reasons. And ESPN will grab onto it just the way they grab on a Clemson ing and the way they grab on a Pac 12 after dark and all the other things that matter to us on the internet that don't mean anything. And it's tough because. They're saying it in a derogatory way, like only right. when bad things are yeah. happening will they use it. And that's tough on me because that's not what I ever intended it for. And, you know, Sport, Sports Channel 8 had their thing about whether or not we should retire. And, I, you know, I, I haven't used it since that article came out because hmm. I think they have a good point in that uh, until it's, you know, taken back or at least re-given <laughs> its... <laughs> Take I, back our hashtags or start a trend. <laughs> yeah, is, is it kind of a deal where, you know... It's it's because uh, uh, you mentioned Sports Channel Eight. You know Ben Swain's one of the folks in, uh, involved with that, and and he has expressed a very similar notion before about you know ACC football in the sense that you know people bag on it all the time, 
and never stops. It, yeah, it, it's become its own kind of thing. It's a, it's a beast that can't be killed, and you know, I like I've I've reeled against Danny Cannell at times, just you know, and he of anybody should know, but you know, it's it's just like, you know. It's kind of like, yeah, we can, you know, we all throw out the the go ACC hashtag, but we mean it in kind of a, you know, the ACC is kind of like our you know, our our uncle who's fighting alcoholism, and he means well, but sometimes he goes off the rails a little bit, and mm-hmm. you know, does something that's, um, you know, inappropriate or whatever. But he's one of us, and he's ours, and you can't make fun of him. It's family. It's family, mm-hmm. and. And you're right. There are people that have now kind of co-opted it and turned it into, oh, that's classic go ACC, um, and and it kind of burns a little bit because no, you're not you're not one of us. It's 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 an it's a very inclusive thing, uh, and we we do take ownership and pride in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if nothing else, Martin, you should feel very proud of that fact. Is that uh, outside of of you and and the rest of the folks, uh, you know, folks here in Raleigh and and in Chapel Hill and and there, you know, all over the ACC have adopted it, and um, it may be being used for evil purposes now a time or two, but um, at the root of it, uh, it definitely is a, a statement of love and support for you know the fact that the ACC uh, is good in patches and bad in patches, but we love it all the same. So, um. I, I reckon that's it. I, I, I did, you know, we've kept you a little bit longer than within normal. Uh, I did want to touch on a few things, but uh, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on Spurrier retiring or, or anything like that? Big big stories in college football. <laughs> Can you sum up Spurrier's retirement in one sentence? <laughs> uh, two you should, you should do it as a Spurrier. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he, it was time, but I uh-huh. think that he probably should have finished the season. You know, right. it's tough on those kids. You're trying to teach them a lesson about life or whatever, and your coach just walks out the door on you when he wants to. Yeah. At the same time, you want people to be honest, and it, that's Spurrier's truth. You know, he was telling his truth, which is when he wants to do something, he does it. So it's kind of hard. You know, he, it's a gray area like anything else, and I don't really speak in binaries. I think that that everybody is flawed and everybody has a rationale behind doing what they do. And Spurrier made the decision that felt right for him. So he deserves the criticism for quote unquote, quitting on his team. If that's what you want to tell him. And I'm sure he's okay with accepting that. But at the same time, he didn't do something that he had lost the heart for. And I had made a joke on Twitter that, is there anything more millennial than that? That the dude (laughs) was tired of a job. So he quit it because he wanted to be happy and he just didn't want to do it anymore. Like we always rip on these millennials and I guess I'm one of them. So I'll just take it. But you know, that, that they are looking out for their best interests. And then you see a, a baby boomer, you know, one of our finest baby boomers do it. Everybody's the same. People are people. Yeah. Spurrier, the ultimate millennial. I love it. <laughs> well, Martin, uh, you know, I, I know probably you don't have, um, I hope, I hope the rooting for Wake hasn't been beaten completely out of you by being a national media member. So I will wish uh, you know Wake Forest, you know luck, you know no injuries. Uh, I think that's the main thing that we root for these days yeah. in, in college sports. It's is like just, watching a horse race or something. Yeah, just, that's all I care about at the end. Yeah, just make sure the horse doesn't break its leg across the finish line. <laughs> yeah. um, Both Colts played hard. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so we'll, we'll see if the streak finally does come to an end. Do you have a read on that? Do you, do you feel like this is the year it happens? Oh gosh, I don't know. 
if I think that it does, they they will win. So <laughs> I, I I don't know. It's the bye week thing, and then Wake looked pretty bad in that second half against UNC. They just ran out of gas. But hey, let's streaks are nice. Let's let's do some continuity. Yeah, Wake's gonna pull off the upset. <laughs> If if nothing else, there has to be one constant in the universe, and maybe this is it. So Clemson at UNC for basketball. There you go. Isn't that but, like fifty one now or something? Yeah, but they don't play any uh, every year now. The the round yeah, robin has, has kind of killed it off. This is the one natural recurring celestial event. I was that we trying can to get on. us off the hook here, James. Well, it's all right. Sometimes <laughs> you just have to own it. It what? won't get to fifty one. No. <laughs> no. I don't think they'll be playing football in another. Uh, 70. I really hope I don't have to tell my grandkids about the streak that it still has not been broken. <laughs> uh, Martin, thank you so much again. We really appreciate you uh, coming on. Best of luck to you as you continue on with Uprox and the rest of your career. It's been a joy talking with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will take a break here on the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. So what is it that people like most about Emilio's Italian restaurant? Cool atmosphere, lots of state memorabilia, tons of memories, just lots of things to reminisce about. The food's awesome. I've had just about everything on the menu, and it's all great. Chicken wings, hamburgers, lasagna, pizza, it's all great. I love coming. I've been coming here since 30 years since I was a kid, man. Find your own special reason for loving Amidio's Italian Restaurant in the heart of Raleigh, North Carolina. All right, folks, welcome back to the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. Uh, we uh, we went a little bit long with Martin in the first segment there, so we won't spend too much time. It, it was worth it. It was definitely worth it, definitely worth it. I'm glad we were able to have Martin on. He is definitely one of the good guys. One and, of my favorite Twitter follows. Oh, easily. yeah. Yeah, He's he is uh, every bit as... Um, genuine? Yeah, genuine, uh, laid back, as chill. Uh, he, he tweets just like he, he sounds. <laughs> yeah, that's what I like. <laughs> Um, so, uh, let's talk about this, the streak here real quick. Um, you know, it, it's, it is noteworthy. It's reached noteworthy status. It's kind of one of those deals where it was like, you know, became kind of cute when it was like, oh, that's weird. And then now it's, it's 14 years in. Uh, so I was just, gonna, I, I just, cause I was bored at lunch. I, I looked up and compiled a few things. So I'll share with you. Uh, the last win was on October 6th, 2001. So if you were born that day, you just turned 14 about 13 days ago. So they are in high school. Yes. That's and terrifying. bearing down on getting their uh, driver's, driver's permit. permit. Yeah. Um, let's see. The uh, Philip Rivers was the last quarterback to play more than once in Winston-Salem. Uh, he was one yeah. and one. Uh, Russell was a freshman. Russell only junior. played uh, one year there. So the, the series of losing quarterbacks in Winston-Salem goes Rivers in 03. Then uh, Davis slash Stone. I went back and looked at a recap on that. Uh, Jay Davis started that game and then got pulled, and Marcus mm. Stone came in <laughs> for that. So we'll give both of them credit for that. For that loss. Uh, Evans in 07, no, I guess. That was, yeah. that was a rough year. Then, I think he lost at home to them, even. Uh, Wilson, yes, did, Wilson, of course, uh, lost in the game, and the notable event occurred, and that was, of course, the breaking of his inco- or interception streak. Oh, was that the game? That occurred okay. in that game. Uh, and uh, let's see, Glennon lost his one appearance there, and Pete Thomas was there two years ago. Uh, uh, was that? That was. And then obviously we'll continue now that Jacoby's only going to get one crack at it. So uh, if McClendon, he'll be he'll be a junior when 
Yeah, you know, theoretically. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, because he's going to oh, be wow. a sophomore next year, so we play yeah. home, away, home. Wow. So it will it will continue on for the foreseeable future. How about that? Uh, we mentioned with Martin that it spans the three the careers of three NC State coaches: Amato, O'Brien, and Doran. Uh, two U.S. presidents: uh, Bush and Obama. Which is no that's surprisingly not as bad as I yeah, thought. It was yeah, yeah. They they were each dual term presidents. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, one coach, though, you might could say that uh, the you know the Clawson era started last year. I, I'm. I'm not going to make it officially the uh, Clawson era until we actually play there this weekend, but uh, hopefully it will just be losses that occur during Grobe's tenure. <laughs> uh, let's see. Things that didn't exist prior to our last win. Uh, let's see. iPods. Facebook, Twitter. Uh, Facebook, <laughs> yes. Uh, Windows XP. <laughs> uh, that might be a good <laughs> The original Xbox, not the 360. Uh, YouTube had not yet been invented. Twitter was still five years away. Uh, Netscape was the second most web browser at the time in 2001. Uh, let's see. We obviously iPhones didn't come until 2007. Yeah. So uh, my three kids. Um, <laughs> so were you still in school? I had just graduated. In fact, I okay. had uh, just started at the uh, current my current employer. But I've been with my employer for 13 years. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a while. It yeah. has been a while. I wasn't um, living in this state. I can tell you that much. <laughs> so, I, Matt, what's your read? Do you think this is the year it ends? <laughs> I don't want to say yes because then I'll be the jinx. I have, a, <laughs> I have a friend that we call the jinx, and he uh-huh. he's always like, oh, they got it in the bag. Whether it's it, not even involving state, just anything. Um, so I always tend to steer clear. Um, I've not had a great read on this year's team. So. Yeah. You know, I I thought for sure they'd beat either Louisville or Virginia Tech. Um, both times going into the game, I was like, all right, you know, I, th- I think they'll get this. And even for stretches, they looked like they would get it during the game. Um, uh-huh. I think this is a great chance. Uh, like Martin said, Wake just seemed dead against the second half against Carolina. I mean, right. Carolina's a good team. I mean, as much as we hate to say that, they're they're a good team, and they, yeah. you know, they they beat them handily, like you know, a good team should, but. From everything I read, I didn't really get to watch it, but everything I read and sounded, you know, and heard about it, it just it seemed like they were kind of dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming back home, I don't know if it's like their homecoming or not. Um, that may help their cause, but um, you know, if state can really, if they really are tired and state can run on them, you know, that's a that's a really big help. The key's going to have to be like they have kind of been doing is get out to a lead, yeah, and run and run and run and force Wake to pass because. Obviously, you know they don't even know who's going to play quarterback. Um, Hinton, to be honest, scares me more than Wolford does because Wolford, we kind of know what we're getting. Mm. Um, Hinton, I really wish at the time State had gotten him. Um, he was supposed to go to State and then last minute kind of went to Wake. But he, you know, he's a dual threat kid that can. He's just, he's just. It's a lame term, but he's a gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, and those kinds of players, he's similar to Russell in that vein of uh-huh. he can do everything just well enough. Um, so he kind of scares keep me drives there. alive that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But but I mean, he is a freshman. You just, they got to get some pressure. Mm-hmm. They had I think one sack against VT, and you know, um, Brendan Motley was able to run around a little bit. He didn't like scorch them, but he was able to run around, bide some time. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to bring more guys, do something. I saw they're going to switch up um, instead of Josh Jones and Jared Fernandez both being cemented starters. Salahuddin and Sean Boone maybe getting more. Um, action, maybe that's part of it. Maybe they're better blitzers. I, you know, mm-hmm. the coaches know better than I do. Um, 
you know, I think they're going to change some things up a little bit, try to fire the boys up somehow. But they're going to have to get out to a lead and probably hold it because yeah. they've never seemed to really make comebacks at Wake, obviously. <laughs> well, I'm I'm trying. I, I've I've debated this over the last two weeks as to is it better for this team to sit on a loss like that, you know, at Virginia Tech for two weeks. I mean, obviously they have plenty of things that they can work on. Uh, but it, obviously, it was a it was a bitter pill to swallow because yeah. that was a very beautiful, beatable Virginia mm-hmm. Tech team, and would have been, I think, easily Dorn's best ACC win yes. um, since he's been here. And uh, it slipped away, and so you know, it, it, I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to come to this game hungry, ready to kind of you know put into place the the corrections that we hopefully have been uh, that have been installed mm-hmm. over the past two weeks, or if. You know the talk of the streak, and you know the worry of uh, playing a, uh, a team like Wake Forest, who did get you know kind of embarrassed the week before. Is, yeah. is Wake going to come in angry. at home angry yeah. and, and willing and really trying to prove something? You know, uh, I do think Clawson is a pretty good coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I I I feel <laughs> I feel like that this will be the year that the streak is broken. It won't be pretty. I think that's the only thing. That <laughs> I agree. I can... I'll agree with that. No matter what, I don't think it'll be pretty. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, Wake's playing stick three to what was it three to zero and yeah, they like, beat like, Boston College three to nothing. Yeah, like um, uh, <laughs> speaking of Martin from the first segment, he has a podcast called It Me College Football. Mm-hmm. He had Lauren on to talk about that game specifically. And Wake's lone scoring drive in that game was for negative two yards. <laughs> so um, it had to be a turnover, right? Yeah, they, they turned Boston College over and then ran the ball for <laughs> negative two yards. And they kicked they were the just goal. getting better positioning. That's right, right. But, um, I, I do think, speaking on the turnovers, that I think State has to generate some turnovers yeah. against somebody. Yeah. I think they had two against South Alabama, and that's like the most – I don't think they've had more than one in any of the other games. And if you're playing – I mean, yeah, it's Wake, but – yeah. And I don't want to demean them, but even playing a team like that, you have to get some turnovers in the ACC because yeah. they do have some talented players. They're not South Alabama, Old Dominion, who are just happy to get you know most of the players they get. You know, you have to, you just have to be better. And forcing turnovers is the number one thing to being better. I think State's turnover margin last year was like plus seventeen or something ridiculous. Wow! And that's that's what you need to win games unless you're in Alabama or a Florida State. You know, Alabama, their only loss was to Ole Miss, and they had five turnovers. But they're so good, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, um, yeah State's got to be better at that. Absolutely. And and we need to see, you know, better production from Jacoby passing mm-hmm. the ball. Um, the passing game just has to get on track. Uh, maybe this is a get-right game for that. I, yeah. You know, um, I'm not sure how Wake's past defense stats look, but, you know, you do feel like this is an opportunity to, um, you know, for State to kind of get right. But, um, yeah, hopefully it will be a game where State can get ahead early and then start running the ball, and, mm-hmm. it, you know, it won't be a, an issue. I don't. I wouldn't feel good if State is trailing midway through the third quarter. I don't even – or, yeah, at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> close game back and forth on the road is – I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, State should win by a lot. But, you know, a close game on the road – I'm especially with state involved. I'm not going to be super mm. confident. Um, yeah, they they need to really hold in that ten to fourteen point range for the most part. Yeah, um, and then I'd I'd feel okay. But <laughs> yeah, it it's um, this will obviously be uh, a big game for state from the stance of you know trying to 
kind of right the ship uh, record wise. You know, eight and four is still a, a realistic possibility. Yeah, and that would be a successful season. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, you don't want to immediately write off the Florida State and Clemson games, but both of those two teams are playing at a very high level right now, yeah. and definitely at a higher level than State. So. You yeah. know, uh, they they would be un, very unlikely losses right. to... Wake, uh, BC, Syracuse. Those are the ones you have to win. Yeah. You need to win those three. And then if you can beat Carolina, obviously for more than one reason, that's that's gravy. Yeah. You'd be 8-4. and 4-4 and four and four of the ACC. Yeah, and that'd be the first time states touch that and since, yeah. I think, Russell's junior year, sophomore year. Yeah. So um, so we'll see. I, maybe the key to success is just letting Wake score on the opening drive a touchdown because I think they're zero and eight under Clawson when they've scored. <laughs> yeah, just a, just a let them get it. Just everyone yeah. fall down. Like when you play yourself <laughs> in Madden when you're like ten yeah. and you really want to win, you just make everyone dive on the yeah, ground. Just, just yeah, just just do that. Just let them uh, head straight to the end zone and then crush them from there. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see how things unfold. Uh, you know, hopefully it will uh, go well, the streak will end, and then we won't have to talk about this in two years uh, on the show. Uh, for Matt Purdy, this is James Curl saying so long from the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.